Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME T-O-G-O to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products, devices, or services may be discussed in the context of the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney. Nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association. And this is Hot Topics with attorney Amanda Hill, a monthly podcast episode series. It can be overwhelming to figure out contracts, and it can be an expensive learning experience when you get into a bad agreement. While we can't take you back to medical school or your residency and build in contracting into your curriculum and training, TMA can introduce you to content experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and a well-known healthcare attorney who serves Texas physicians and practices. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Amanda, it's great to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about contracts, as contracts play such an important and recurring role in a physician's practice. There's just so much to cover. Where should we start? Well, let's start with a story. I have so many contracts that I look at every day, but you'd be amazed at the different things that pop up on a daily basis. Um, from employment contracts to contracts for sale of a business. But let me tell you the story about one time when a doctor decided she didn't want to run her practice. And she listened to another woman that said, why don't you just practice medicine? Let me be your manager. Don't worry, just do all the medical stuff and I'll handle the boring business side. And so what happened is my client uh, entered into a legal arrangement by signing a management agreement 
which by the way, was for 10 years and there was no exit clause, but you know, she needed it. The manager, you know, made all kinds of claims, said they needed a bank loan, that they were in a hurry. And so my client in her naivete signed this agreement, this management agreement, and also signed a voting trust, which basically gave this manager all kinds of power over her company. Now, of course, she didn't seek legal counsel at the time. She signed it. She trusted this woman and it, it didn't turn out well, as you can imagine. Right. So she comes to me one day, you know, five years in this woman's wildly controlling. She's kind of crazy. She won't let my client even get in the sample closet. Right. I mean, even the insulin box is locked. I mean, she's controlling every aspect of the business. She's running it into the ground. They're buying Christmas decorations, you know, at exorbitant fees to decorate the clinic. Everyone gets bonuses. My client realizes that things have gone awry and she comes to me to get out of it. And it was a nightmare. You know, she was locked in. There was penalties involved. There was no way to terminate the agreement. We had to work for months to get her out of that. And we did. And it was a lot of yelling between lawyers and a lot of legal fees and when it was all said and done, I think she slept for like 36 hours straight because it was a very stressful endeavor and it was like a bad dream. So I guess what I would advise doctors is please do not just sign legal documents and contracts that bind you to things without having your lawyer review it. Uh, not just any lawyer, but a healthcare lawyer that really can advise you well, because I felt really terrible that this client was stuck in this arrangement. And so, you know, yeah, contracts are very important and every physician should be mindful before they sign one that there's a back door and that they can get out. What a great cautionary tale. That must have been a very stressful and terrifying experience for that physician. Well, it was. And to be honest, the one thing that I hate is having to charge doctors. I wish I could just have a nonprofit and do all this for free because she was the most stressful period of her life. But I think eventually what we ended up doing is the other party made these terrible threats that they were going to go after her for unpaid loans and half a million dollars. And we ended up getting her out of it without her paying all of that. So it was well worth the time and money at the end. But I wish that I could go back in time and I could have advised her before she signed it and she would have avoided all of that pain. Yes, excellent point. Now, do you get a lot of contract questions? And what are some of the most common things people ask about? Yes, contract review is probably the number one area that I focus on. There's lots of questions about employment agreements, recruitment agreements. Uh, mostly doctors have questions about their non-compete or how do I know if this bonus is something that is attainable? I mean, what about the length of the agreement or, you know, things like that, that doctors just need general advice on. And sometimes they come to me and they say, this is ridiculous. Um, how dare they ask this of me? And I'll say, actually, that's pretty standard. <laughs> and, and doctors are surprised because, you know, I'm in this industry, so I know what goes into these agreements. So it's always good to get a reality check of what is a reasonable non-compete or is this a provision that is very typical? And so I think just for that, um, it's good for a physician to be advised of, you know, industry standard. Yes. And I know non-competes are a hot topic. It's something physicians frequently reach out for help on. And we're going to have an episode with you in the future specifically on non-competes. One of the other areas that we get a lot of questions about pertains to negotiating contracts. 
What guidance can you give physicians in the area of contract negotiation? You know, I give a speech about this and I love talking about negotiations because a lot of times doctors are so trained on how to care for the patient, but they don't care for themselves, right? They don't advocate well for themselves. And sometimes when they try to, it comes across as, you know, domineering, or this is demanding, this is what I want, or this isn't fair, it comes across wrong. So the first thing that I always tell doctors when you're negotiating any contract is just take your time. Don't just sign a document that's put in front of you or sent via DocuSign and you think you don't have any negotiation power and you have to sign it within the next X number of days. And trust me, I've seen a lot of pressure put on doctors. You know, they it's sent to be PDF or it's sent to be a DocuSign and you have to sign it within this period of time or you don't get your bonus. Your sign-on bonus goes down if you don't sign it quickly or conversely, a different type of agreement. Maybe it's an investment opportunity in an uh, ambulatory surgery center or maybe it's an investment opportunity into a lab and they say, act now if you don't sign this investment opportunity. <laughs> and it starts to sound a little bit like an infomercial, you know, you're going to lose out and all these other doctors are going to rush ahead of you. That is really a bad strategy to rush into signing any major legal documents. So slow down and explain that you, you can't have this kind of pressure that you're going to need at least a week or two to review it and have your lawyer look at it. That's not unreasonable, by the way, no one should make you sign something that you don't have a couple of weeks to be able to review and send to your lawyer. Now, I mean, three months is too long, but certainly they should give you a, an adequate amount of time to review any document. The second piece of advice I would give is don't start off negative, right? Let's say you're a resident or a doctor that's changing jobs and you get this great opportunity. Yes, there are some points that you might want to negotiate with your future employer, but I wouldn't go in guns blazing saying, well, this sucks and we need to change this and this other thing is wrong because it comes across as maybe, you know, the impression that that leaves with your new employer is that you may be asking for too much, or you may be greedy, or you may not be a good team player. So always go in, first of all, being excited, right, about the investment opportunity or about the new job or the transfer or the partnership opportunity. And start with, this is very exciting. I can't wait to be a part of this team. Um, I look forward to working with you. I would like to be able to have my lawyer look at it. And there may be some areas that I'd like to discuss with you, perhaps working through. And that sets a better tone when you go in saying, this is really exciting. I look forward to do, working with you, but I do want to negotiate a few points rather than just bullet pointing it out. And I, I love doctors, obviously. I've worked with doctors for 20 years, um, but you don't need to issue a soap note in an email when you're negotiating a contract, right? It shouldn't be the same as a clinical documented list of things that you would like to change. It's really a discussion that you're having with the other side and you have to know what your position is. You have to know what leverage you have or what you don't have. And that really affects what you go after. Now, if you're using a lawyer, sometimes that's helpful because you can use your lawyer, as I call, to be the heavy. You know, you can blame things on your lawyer that you may not want to own yourself. Like, well, you know, my lawyer is just doing their job and that's what they, you know, they told me was standard. So I'm just following their advice. So it sort of gets you out of the hot seat of demanding things because you can say, well, that's what my lawyer recommended. 
always blame the lawyer. I, I can always be the bad guy. <laughs> make the doctor the saint, you know, and make me the annoying lawyer. But the most important advice I would give to doctors when you're negotiating is pick your battles. I can say that over and over and it always rings true. When I look at a contract, for example, that has been edited by another lawyer, and in our world, we call it bleeding all over the document. And what that means is that you make so many changes, you know, they turn red in your editing device when you're on your computer editing documents, they all turn red. So it looks like it's being, you know, bled all over when you make so many changes. Nobody wants to get a document back that's been bled all over. It, it shows um, a little bit of a lack of expertise. It shows naivete when you make so many edits to an agreement it sort of scares the other side, right? They're like, what are you crazy? We've used this contract successfully for, you know, five years and you come in some hotshot and think you're just going to edit the whole thing. And then there's like language that you maybe don't like and you tweak to make slightly better language. I'm not a fan of that. And when I see a lawyer that does that to an agreement, I think, immediately, this person is a bit inexperienced because you have to pick your battles. If I turn in a contract to an opposing side that has 17 changes on it, when really the most important things are three items, then that's, that's my fault as your lawyer. I'm not representing my client well. So what I typically advise is, yes, look at every single thing in that contract. You, between you and your lawyer, you know, anything goes, right? If I'm sending a contract to a client, it might have a whole bunch of comments on it between me and my client. But then get together and decide what are you actually going to push for? And it's usually about three or four things max, right? Is the salary in line with what you're looking for? You know, is the term of the agreement and the exit clause adequate for you to get out of this thing if it doesn't work out? Is the bonus attainable? You know, I mean, there's certain things that jump out and it's different with every contract, but you do want to go through and say, we're going to pick our battle on this. For example, one doctor said, I don't want to work that much call. I have young children. I have a family. I only want to work one weekend a month. And I want that to be very clear. That's the battle that he chose. And that's what we fought for, right? It's different with every individual doctor. Some people, um, they say, I don't care about that section. You know, I don't want to edit that. It doesn't even bother me. It's not even relevant. And so that's good for me to know, you know, on what to pick. But if you're going to give advice on negotiating contracts, it's pick your battles. Thank you. That's great. And I really like the example you shared about the physician who had young children and they didn't want to be on call all the time. It's important for, for physicians to think about their work-life balance. That's such an important point to keep in mind. So to recap, physicians should take your time, be respectful, make your attorney the bad guy, and pick your battles. So Amanda, what's one thing you find doctors not doing that you're like, oh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I wish we could go back and have you do this instead. Well, I think the number one thing is finding a backdoor. It's really, really important to be able to get out of an agreement. That is a big issue that doctors do not look for when they are signing their contracts. Look for an exit clause. Is there a way out of this agreement? Yes, there's usually notice. 90, you know, 90 days is common, but it's all over the map. 
But if this doesn't work out and every doctor goes into a relationship with stars in her eyes that she thinks this is going to be the best investment, the best job, the best partnership. And oftentimes it doesn't work out that way. So you need to make sure there is a backdoor. Now, the second biggest thing that doctors really fail to do, and I've been trying to speak to residents all over the state and telling this, and hopefully it sinks in, is find someone that has an MGMA subscription. And what MGMA is, is the Medical Group Management Association, and they have compensation numbers relevant to your particular region and specialty. And so I guess my point is you need to be prepared. If you're going to go in and push for more salary, you can't say, well, my buddy in med school got 310 and here you're offering me 275,000. I just think that isn't enough money. I would like 310 also. That just kind of just looks like you're grabbing for something. But if you go in and you say, look, I am in endocrinology. This is the area that I'm working. The MGMA numbers show that, you know, 60%, 65% of MGMA is 310,000. And I think that's fair for me to ask. I'd like to get 310,000 because that's fair market value in this area. I mean, that's going to get you so much farther than just grabbing for numbers because you think your buddy from med school got it. So I wish I could explain that is you have to know what your worth is. And it depends, you know, your, I mean, your worth, of course, is not found solely in your profession, but as far as your job goes, your worth is sort of dictated by your specialty and your region that you're practicing. So I always encourage doctors, please try to figure out what that is before you're negotiating for money, because it makes a really big difference. That's a really good point. Now, is it mostly employment agreements or are there other types of contracts that physicians need to pay attention to? Definitely other contracts, because let me tell you, I've never met a doctor that looks good in orange, meaning nobody wants to go to prison over some lab contract they signed with some fly-by-night vendor that sounded too good to be true. So usually the contracts that I pay most attention, well, I pay equal attention to all of my client work, but obviously, but the ones that are going to get my doctors in the most trouble are the ones that touch on fraud and abuse. So if you have a lease agreement, for example, that you're renting out some of your space to someone who might be in a position to refer to you, or if you're sharing any sort of equipment or any space with another provider and you accept Medicare and these things might have some anti-kickback implications, or if you're investing in a lab that you refer to and there are contracts associated with that, you have to be really, really careful. If you accept Medicare or any federal payers, you are subject the fraud and abuse rules. And so any contracts that you sign that may run afoul of those, they're really going to get you in hot water. And so I beg my clients, please do not just enter into these agreements without knowing that you fit within a safe harbor. And that is something that's very difficult for doctors to assess because who knows, right? I mean, what is a safe harbor for a space rental agreement or a personal services exception? I mean, all these words just fly around. It's very difficult to ascertain. So get your lawyer to look at those agreements. Um, any MRI, ultrasound, lab, any company like that, or any ancillary business that might have designated health services that might implicate Stark, those things, those contracts need to be reviewed. So yes, that's really more than just employment contract. And I will say that 
sometimes I get from doctors, oh, I just don't want to have to call you, you know, call my lawyer because it costs money every time I call you. And it does. You're right. It does cost you money when you call me and when you have me review a contract. But on average, let's say it takes one or two hours for me to analyze a contract and give you advice. That one or two hours is such a drop in the bucket than having a contract that is inappropriate in the government's eyes. And three years later, you're having to unravel it and it blows up in your face and you have to pay fines and penalties in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So an ounce of prevention really saves you headaches later. And I, I hate getting the calls from any of my clients that say, "Uh Oh, Amanda, I never got this one reviewed. I think I'm going to need your help. (laughs) That's never a call I want to get. So think about that on the front end. It will save you money. And it makes me wonder too, that there's a, a looming feeling of, but they won't change anything. So why bother? What would you say to that? Is it really true? That is a really great question. Um, I do think that does happen mostly with residents. Um, Remember, the reason that you don't get changes in contracts is because you don't have any leverage. So when you're starting off as a resident right out of school or right out of fellowship, and you're working for like a large hospital system, that's another thing. The larger the system is or the businesses that you're working for, the less likely they're going to make individual changes just for you, right? But if you're starting out, and you know, you're, you're sort of a small potato and you're working for a big group and it's your first job, you, know, you just don't have as much leverage like as you would if you were going in as a 10-year doctor with lots of experience and patients behind your belt, they're more likely to make changes. So that's something to keep in mind. But that being said, I, have, I usually always get some changes no matter if they're residents or not because Sometimes there's just a shortage in the area. They need family practice doctors, right? I mean, it may not be that that you have some, you know, 10-year experience in this area, but they're desperate to get doctors and they'll do what it takes to get the doctor in that facility, into that area or region. So yes, I've had some luck with changes in the areas of, you know, compensation and sign-on bonuses. Those things are usually negotiable. Oftentimes we can narrow the non-compete. You have to remember, or it's important to remember for doctors that when you're asking for them to change something, it has to be something they have the ability to change. Like if you go in and say, I'd like you to change your benefit plan, they're going to say no. (laughs) Okay. So just so you know, going in, I'd like to have a, you know, five weeks of vacation when every other doctor in the same level only has four, they're probably going to say no, because they have to be consistent with all their providers as far as the benefits that they offer. So that's something you need to know going in. Don't ask for something that they literally cannot give you, you know? So that's, that's the first thing I would say. Now, secondly, when it says, you know, we won't change anything, don't bother asking. I always wonder what kind of group, you know, when they send a doctor a contract through DocuSign and they say, you have three days, we're signing, we're changing nothing. Then I go, wow, that, think about that. That's going to be the way this employer operates. (laughs) You know, it's going to be, we run the show you are a widget in our system. This is, you're just filling a need. We won't make any changes. You're not that important. So, you know, I try to look at it as give, give the doctor some professional autonomy. This is a person who's trained for many years, should have some ability to be treated like a professional. So I I really hate that when groups, you know, just act like the doctor is a cog in the wheel rather than having the ability to negotiate. So it depends on the group. 
Um, usually the national groups don't change as much um, as a smaller group. I mean, if you have a, a doctor that's trying to get a job at a practice with four other physicians and a couple of advanced practice providers, there's, yes, there's a lot of negotiation room. If you're trying to get a job with U.S. surgery partners or some bigger group, it's much more difficult. Okay. And what would you say are the big three areas that you negotiate the most? Oh, non-competes for sure. Um, There's a lot of negotiation about non-competes. I will say that we'll get into this in another podcast, so I won't go into much detail, but I will say that sometimes doctors are surprised about what is common and what is not. So it's just often educating my own clients on what I think is reasonable in this state. Everything about money, right? Everything regarding bonuses, sign on, relocation amounts, all of that is negotiable. But again, what I said before about knowing your worth and finding out the MGMA numbers or finding out what's in your area is really important. So we don't just grab for money without knowing what's standard. And I'm really, really big, as I said before, on finding out how to get out of this deal that you think is so great today or you're desperate to have. Um, Because if they're going, if the group is going to terminate you from this job, they need to give you proper notice. Um, And they can't terminate you based on, you know, silly, tiny things like every single physician contract has a section that says, you know, yes, you can, we can terminate you with notice, usually 90 days, but there's also, we can terminate you for terrible things that you do, right? It's called immediate termination for cause. Like if you lose your license, if you commit a fraud, you know, and or a crime of moral turpitude. Where else do you hear a crime of moral turpitude, by the way, except for these antiquated physician contracts? What even is that? Most people ask. But all these terrible things, right? You um, you have such an alcohol or drug problem that affects your job and you come to work drunk or high every day. Okay, that's fair. Most doctors understand what that means and that they can agree to that. But then groups try to squeeze things in there like, oh, and we can also terminate you if you violate our policies. Uh, what does that mean? It means you come to work late a couple of days, or you don't go to some mandatory meeting because you were ill or, you know, and all of a sudden you're fired because you didn't follow their policies. So you have to really look at those sections and say, wait, 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 if you want to terminate me based on what you think is a policy violation, then you need to let me know that I'm doing that wrong and give me an opportunity to fix it. So oftentimes I negotiate things like that, which is putting in what lawyers call an opportunity to cure. You know, if they're going to fire you for something that's terrible, they need to give you notice of it and the ability to try to change it. And I have saved a lot of doctors from that because that has that exact same thing happens, right? The group says, we think you violated our policy. We're going to terminate you. And I was like, aha, contraire. You have to give them 30 days notice and let them try to fix it. And so that really is helpful for doctors to negotiate. So those are some of the big ones. Yes, and that's frightening to think the physicians are signing contracts that says they can be terminated for a a perceived breach of policy. We know non-competes are valid in Texas, but do people really get into legal battles about them? All of the time. I do. Sometimes I have doctors call me and they say, well, I know my non-compete says 20 miles, but I found this great job that's 18.5 miles. It's almost 20. It'll probably be no big deal. And I say, oh, it's a big deal. And yes, employers will go after you for it because, you know, they've structured it in a legal way. They know it's enforceable and it's a 
extremely valid threat. So don't go violating non-competes thinking no one's going to come after you. Because yes, we fight non-compete battles all the time. Amanda, all of this has been so helpful. How can physicians learn more about all of this that we talked about today? Well, first of all, thanks for listening to me drone on about it. I could talk all day long about contracts. It's that fun. Uh, Not really, but no, it's great. I love helping doctors. So email me if anyone sends me an email on my website, which is hillhealthlaw.com, then click on the contact link. Tell me that you listen to this podcast and I will send you a free summary, which has bullet points of everything I talked about today. So please reach out anytime. I'm always available. I love hearing from you. Even if you just have thoughts or ideas about what we can talk about next time, I love hearing from you. Amanda, thank you so much for answering my questions and for all the guidance you provided today and for, well, all the contributions you've made to our other programs available in the TMA Education Center. Thank you. Such great information. Thank you, Heather. I am so excited to speak to doctors. Thank you for letting me be on this TMA episode of Contracts, and hopefully we'll be talking to doctors a lot more about legal issues in the future. To our listeners, we hope you found this episode beneficial. Check the episode description for the link to email Amanda and for the link to TMA's Education Center, where you can claim CME for this episode, as well as access more education on this topic. Watch for next month's episode in this series where Amanda will dive into non-compete clauses. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well.